Hello. What's your theme for the week? Well, <laughs> this is going to knock your socks off. Do you know what the theme of the week was going to be? Flexibility. Yes. Seriously? Yes. Uh, I, it's okay, because I had no idea. Yes, that's and it. the reason why I didn't reply to your email when um, you said, don't get attached to your ideas. And I was like, well, duh, because it's all about being flexible. Yeah, I yes. And you'll understand why I was. Uh, it, Thursday was a very interesting day. Okay. No, wait, today's Wednesday. Monday. Last Thursday? Sometime. I, have, I don't remember. They sort of blur. It's just either last Thursday or Friday, or maybe it was Monday. Wasn't yesterday. Okay. Okay. It's me. You ready? All right. Remember the whole Vegas Nerve presentation and webinar? Right? Remember the whole SIBO presentation where if you have SIBO, it's because your vagus isn't working and you don't have enough stomach acid. Remember that? Yes. yes. And where esophagitis and digestion that doesn't work right is because you don't have enough stomach acid. Remember that whole elaborate 60 to 90 minute, okay, now we're gonna treat the vagus and you have to increase secretions in the vagus. Remember that one? Where you, where you had to put the pulse oximeter on and make sure that the pulse didn't go down too low? Yes. Remember that one? I do. Okay. Well, the first principle of science is you observe and then you verify and then you observe. And the second principle of science is you can't throw out the data because it doesn't agree with your model. Yes. Remember that? I do. Patient has digestive issues, diagnosed with SIBO or something, because if she eats almost anything, she'll belch, start burping. And so that means the lower esophageal sphincter isn't doing what it's supposed to. And that means that she has the wrong gut bacteria in my world that used to be because she didn't have enough stomach acid. But then the data that she presented was, when I have this digestive crisis where I will sit up belching, and she called it belching, burping, belching, like catastrophically belching for hours at a time, while she's not sleeping. The way that she fixes it is Pepsid. And uh, she said, a trisalt. And I said, let me see what's in the trisalt. Calcium carbonate, magnesium carbonate, some other carbonate. They're all really powerful anti-acids. And that stops your belching? Yeah. Yep. Then I can sleep. And it's like, she has too much stomach acid. Hmm. Okay. And then I took her pulse and her pulse was 46. 
And she said, well, it's always kind of low when I lay down. So I had her take sit up and it was 49. Your pulse is too slow. You have too much stomach acid. I've never done this before. So it's entirely possible. My head will fall off or the world will come to an end. I'm not entirely sure which, but I ran concussion on one machine and then I ran 40 and 109 for the first time in my treating Vegas career and her pulse came up to 63 and she fell asleep and she felt really really good you can't throw out the data because it doesn't match your model so now that part of the Vegas presentation has got to go in the advance because by the time we get to the Vegas, the people in the core are already, you know, not come, not, there's no room left. So in the advance, we have to have the conversation about, there is obviously at least one time and maybe more where you have to quiet the Vegas and her anxiety went down Usually when that's a good phase, usually when you increase secretions in the vagus, it makes increases all the good things in the brain, which reduces anxiety and depression. Nope. Her anxiety disappeared when I calmed the vagus, which was really inconvenient because I didn't think it worked that way. So now I, I haven't had time to go and look through the anything to find out if that worked how we did do 40 and 89 and 40 and 94 and what's interesting is that all of this started after she had she broke her cl clavicle and she left side and when she fell it was a bicycle accident the clavicle and then she smacked her head this way and they um, then after she had the metal taken out of her clavicle, that made it even worse. So what runs right down here? So she had a traction injury. If you think about what happens when you have a traction injury to a regular nerve, it becomes hypersensitive, right? And it doesn't work right. Yeah. So... Apparently what happened was, was her vagus got stretched and became hyper sensitive, right? And you can't do a sensory exam on the vagus. All you can do, do is look at what it does. And what it did was it made too much stomach acid that disturbs her bacterial flora and made her anxious and made her heart rate 46. And the hospital, if your heart rate goes to 46, the crash team comes in. In my office, I just ran 40 and 109. So that was the day that I, um, we really had a serious conversation about whether or not to have adult beverages in the clinic. But you know, just, just for emergency purposes, isn't that weird? I had to read your email quite a few times just to make sure that I was reading. Yes. What, because 
but you're right. You can't throw it out when it doesn't make sense. You, well, you can't throw it out because it's not what you think it should be. Do you remember I heard about somebody who was running 40 and one yes. of them, and I rolled my eyes and went, what are they thinking? Yeah. Well, they're running 40 and 109 as a standard without checking the data. You can't run 40 and 89 on somebody with a pulse of 97. Right. Ehlers-Danlos patients come in with a pulse of 97 and all the digestive issues and anxiety and and all those things. And for them, if you ran 40 and 89, so you can talk now because I just have to finish swallowing my foot. <laughs> but you're not. And here's why you're not. And here's what I have to contribute to this. Because you have, especially in the last five years, have been telling all of the disciples <laughs> that we have to think about what we are doing. This isn't a list of recipes. This isn't a one size fits all. So you're, you're not doing anything other than exactly what you're teaching us to all do is think about it and learn to adapt your frequencies, your thought process, your hypothesis on the fly. And on the basis of what you see. Right, what are your objective measures? Can I tell you one more story? Of course. We have a lot of time. At least you're doing this now a few minutes in as opposed to at 4.59, which you normally do. But go. No, it's because this this one was just, it, it was the ability to completely change a life in two days. Do it. So the lady came in and she said, well, originally I was coming in. So she's a friend of Leaf's and I hope Leaf comes on so I can say hi. So he's a friend of Leafs, and she, he said, you have to go down and see her. She lives in Vancouver, BC, so this is quite a trip. So she comes down, and she said, well, originally I came down because my thigh hurt because I fell, and now I'm just here for Achilles tendinopathy. Oh, okay. What, what do you do for a living? I'm a dental hygienist. Okay. So tell me about the fall. Then she says, oh, I fall a lot really? Well, what happened this time? Well, I missed the bottom stair. What, how, tell me about, tell me about missing the bottom stair. So the lesson for today is ask open-ended questions. Tell me about missing the bottom stair. Well, I didn't, didn't see it. And I thought I was on the bottom stair and I, I thought I was down on the, but I, I missed the bottom stair and then I fell and I landed on my hips. So that's quite a crash. And the Achilles tendinopathy was like secondary. And I said, tell me about falling. Why do you fall a lot? Well, I fall because I just, I just don't see right. And I went, it can't be this easy. And I said, you know, the part of the history where you ask about trauma, she said, no, not much. Well, I did have, a couple of auto accidents in my 20s. I said, well, tell me about your auto accidents. Once again, open-ended questions. Tell me about your auto accidents. Well, the first one, she wasn't paying attention and she rear-ended somebody. So wacko. Now her neck has no pain, no arm pain, no hand pain. She rear-ended somebody. 
um, they, back in the day when they didn't have airbags. But then the next accident was she was going through a green light, somebody ran the red and T-boned her at 30 miles an hour on the left side. Okay. And she said, and then I was distracted by something. I ran a red light and somebody on the green came through and T-boned me again on the driver's side. And I went, hmm. So as I did the physical exam, I put the tuning fork here. She heard it equally in both ears. But some things, people shouldn't fall that often. And so I did the fields of gaze and she was saccadic in both directions. And I, then I started asking that set of questions. And um, how do you do in Costco? I don't go to Costco. How about just busy places? I'm gonna guess that you shop at a really small grocery store and you avoid the big grocery store. Yeah. How about reading? Well, I, I have to read the same line three times. Uh-huh, okay. And then we went down that road. And how about sleeping? Well, I don't sleep very well, not haven't for years. Oh, how many years? She's 62, about 30 years. How old were you when the accidents happened? 29. So all of these, so you know the BIVSS, that eight, the 18 question questionnaire that Dr. Rusky gave us? 18 is a predictive score that they're going to have a problem. The highest BIVSS I've ever recorded was 38. So when I called and made the appointment for her with Dr. Rusky, I said, oh, by the way, her BIVSS score is 88. And it's like, so that the first day I took two meclizine out of my little pouch and I said, take these 30 minutes before bed and make sure you have a pillow against your back, pillow on your chest or on your tummy. And we had that conversation. She came in the next day. She said, I slept last night. I'm groggy today. All I want to do is go back to bed. And I said, well, yeah, basically you haven't slept in 30 years. So your brain has an opinion about that. And then the first day, this leg bruise thing. So the Achilles tendon was easy to fix. But she said, and I have all this hip pain. So of course I checked her adductors and pectineus because she felt really hard, right? So there's scar tissue in the whole femoral plexus from her groin to her knee. So I started taking that apart and did 81 and 84 and 40, all of that, you would have been very proud and had her just lift her leg and internally and externally rotate her hip. And then she hadn't taken the meclizine yet. And I wanted her to get on the reformer and use the leg. She walked in and looked at it and said, I can't do that. 
Okay. So the next day, before I finished treating her, I gave her a meclizine and finished treating all the scar tissue and did increased secretions in the cerebellum and introduced her left leg to her sensor and motor cortex, went into the gym and put her on the reformer with just half a spring so that she could just get used to movement. And she said, that feels so good. Then we added another two springs, like two full. So now she's at two and a half springs. And as she moved, we had her engage her lumbar spine muscles and her abdominal muscles. And normally it's, you know, five reps and a rest and five reps and a rest. She did 20 because she didn't want to stop and then a rest. And, and she wasn't dizzy. She could look at the ceiling and not have an anxiety attack. And she is, it entirely changed her life. She, she went to breakfast with people that she really enjoys. But as soon as she fit, finished eating, she had to leave. It's like, I, I can't stay. And she didn't know why. She just thought she was a pathologic introvert. It's like, no, you just have had a brain and eye injury. And her, her optometrist put her in trifocal progressives. Okay, that's a good face. Trifocal perspectives without doing fields of gaze. So that those were my those those were my well there was another guy with the same thing VIVSS but this one was just miraculous her life completely changed so she'll see Dr. Rusky in I think early September and see me in October so now she's got two meclizine at night one meclizine in the morning and get used to her life and her brain. And then she'll get prison glasses and she has a month. So I won't see her again until October, early November is the first. So that was my week. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just my Achilles tendon. And then you ask, how did you fall? I, and then I fall a lot. Why do you fall? Well, I trip over things. Why do you do that? Well, I can't see them. Excuse me? I mean, <laughs> so a lot to unpack here. That's, I'm trying to take notes with your stories now because, like, there's every little part is a note that we have to talk about. It just means that everybody who is a practitioner needs to keep a copy of the BIVSS in there. Um, okay, let's start there. Do you have a resource for this document so people can go to some place to get this document? At which point I will turn my head to the left and ask my resource guy, do we have a place where we put the BIVSS? Because we had it 
with Rusky's presentation, but I'm not sure. Right. Like any words generally. Okay. But if I send it to you, you can put it. Where could we put it? That's. I'll need to think about that. Where is a good place to? Put we'll it? get back to everybody on that because somebody I think written either to us directly or it was on a Facebook post. I was going to say there's. I think there's one in the date in the documents on Facebook. Yes. Yeah. And the so, BIVSS stands for Brain Injury Visual System Symptom Questionnaire. This so, Jane, B, B is in boy, Brain Injury I, v, Visual System Symptom Questionnaire. And Dr. Rusky is R E S K I. And I honestly already have him booked out um through half of september sorry about that yeah okay we have to keep going with this story for a second okay. yeah you do your thing it's not my thing i, I know i well I'm, you have to fix it because i just i just got to keep the train on the track that's all <laughs> i have to do okay so otherwise i don't know where you'd, you'd take the train you put it in a tree you put it in a cloud okay Okay. So the theme, the theme for this week, I already had crafted. I can show you my show notes for going through to September was flexibility. Now I have, you ask a hundred practitioners a definition of flexibility and we're all going to say something a little bit different, right? True. I will think about a muscle's flexibility, a fascist flexibility. You could think of the flexibility of your mind, right? So this is kind of where we're going with the hypothesis first. Yep. So going back to, it's never just an Achilles tendinopathy, right? We all get that. I don't care. I don't care who you are, what you treat for your PT, Cairo, MD, whatever. Your patient is going to be attached to what they think it is, either because they Googled it, they thought of it, their neighbor told them, their medical doctor gave them a previous diagnosis. Or it the is, last three physical therapists they saw told them it was the gluten medius and minimus when it was adhesions in the abductor, which were internally rotating. Don't get me started on okay. PTs and glute weaknesses because I need adult beverages in my mug to complete that conversation. I can get to that. So, so that's the first thing, right? Patient. It's like the old joke, you know, like, like a cucumber walks into a bar. Okay. So your patient walks into your clinic, they're going to have it on their, on their form, what they think their problem is. It is your job to glance at it, sidebar it and continue on with whatever scope of practice you have. Now, one of the things, again, we're having this like roller coaster um, of topics today. Somebody had not wrote me a hate email, but was saying how overwhelmed they were because we make them feel as though they should know more that is outside of their scope of practice. I'm going to get to that in a second. I get it. We have a thousand frequencies for a thousand different things. It is not your job to be able to diagnose or prescribe stuff that is outside of your practice. These are merely areas that you can refer to. You're not expected to know or to deal with all the stuff that walks into your practice just because we told you there's a frequency for it. Oh, God, no. That's right? 
Absolutely. So didn't think we had to say it out loud, but let's just say it out loud. Like you, I, this is right. out loud all the time. Well, we got to say it louder for the folks in the back because okay. um, somebody yeah. didn't hear it the right way. So this isn't to make anybody feel bad. There's so many different practitioners from so many different, even even just all PTs vary in their scopes of, of what they want to specialize in. So what they've been trained in and the thing that FSM does that is so unique in manual therapy, whether you're a PT, DO, um, what is that thing? Fascial distortion model, fashionista, myofascial pain therapist, whatever. FSM is gives you the answer to why. Yes. This patient had terrible trigger points in her glute medius and minimus, the external rotators. So where do you look if you're an FSM prime? If you're if all you can do is put your thumb, elbow, or needle into it. It, it's only the glute medius. If you have FSM, it is okay. Why is the glute medius so distressed that it is got trigger points in it for the last however long? Well, where do you go? It's an external rotator, but her hip her femur is internally rotated. That means the glute medius and minimus are pissed off, are hurting and developing trigger points because they're mechanically operating outside their scope. With FSM, you have a way to check why is the femur internally rotated? So you put your hands there and you think about what happens when a 230 pound person steps off the step and lands, just do the physics. You land from 10 feet up on your left side and you're going to bleed internally between the nerve and the fascia. That's not outside anybody's scope. No. Thinking is not outside the scope. So we have a tool that lets us, oh, what I feel is adhesions between the nerve and the muscle. Well, she's been seeing a chiropractor that was treating those muscles and it just hurt so much she stopped. She said, oh, that's really tender. So I switched to quiet the nerve, 40 and 396 took the pain down, then started treating for scar tissue. Got all that done, got down to her knee, ow. So back to forth. So once we did that, then we could get the external rotation into her femur. Then I could put my thumb into her glute medius and minimus and it just went away. So I'm going to build on our questions. So go back to... No, no, no. But when, when, when we, when we teach the core, Mm -hmm. when I teach the sports, 
the, the slide that keeps repeating over and over again is, you know, what is wrong and where is that occurring? How did, so we're going to go, why? why, right? So asking those open-ended questions, you have to treat every patient like you are a preschool teacher or daycare worker, and you're working with a temperamental three-year-old. You would never say, oh, is this a tree that you drew? And the kid was like, no, that's my dad, you know, and runs off crying. You have to tell me about this picture. How did you come up with this concept? So like you were saying, tell me about your injury because saying I fell down the stairs or I fell off a curb or I just got in a motor vehicle accident isn't enough. How did the car come at you? What else was going on? You didn't mention that you had an infection after the surgery. Like there's all these things. So asking those open-ended questions is huge. You can also extract this way to the patients that don't talk about their feelings, AKA athletes. You can extract <laughs> emotional um, component nuggets. When you ask them more about how was that? And you know, then you'll, you'll hear them. It was really, really tough. I was really depressed after that happened or then my husband left me or my wife. And it, there's, there's things that will happen when you ask, tell me a little bit more about that and what else was going on during that time. So I think those are, those are big things that I want to extract from your story, not getting attached to the diagnosis not even getting attached to the imaging that comes in. And I know that seems weird because you would think that is an objective measure that is concrete. We can see what's happening. There's always more stuff in the onion than just the disc that exploded. The other question I want to add to this instead of the how and the what and the why is what is going to make this condition worse? So when you are getting when you're in the weeds with something with somebody that comes in with a very loaded history, or if you're under a lot of pressure to get an athlete back months ago, that is one of the things I've been starting to think about what, what is going on? Where is it happening? Yeah. How did it happen? But what could make this worse? So if you have a nerve that is scarred, what is going to make this worse? Well, stretching it too fast is going to make it worse. Being too aggressive with your treatment is going to make this worse. Or for the patient, what makes it better, what makes it worse is always a question. Right. What makes it better, what makes it worse. So when I move it like this, it's like, okay, fine. Right. And then dissecting that. Well, what is involved with that? This muscle has to contract. This muscle has to elongate. What does the fascia look like? Um, and that will help guide your frequencies as well. If, if stretching something too aggressively or moving something past a range of motion too aggressively is going to make it worse, then gently dissolve the adhesions slowly, patiently, until the patient is able to complete that range of motion and, and is confident that they can do that range of motion. Now I met a fabulous PT and strength coach that I'm going to hopefully bring on at some point that hit the nail, something, you know, when you talk to somebody and something just hits you right in the heart and you were just like, that is gold. Yeah. We're talking about injuries with athletes and in a certain 
Um, part of their rehabilitation when the pain is gone and the range of motion is symmetrical. This is the sweet spot. This is the hard part of rehab because there is no pain and they want to go back and they are not ready to go back yet because things are not done. Well, muscles, muscles that have been inhibited are weak. If they tight, if they have trigger points in them and you now increase the range of motion, the muscles may go that far but they're not strong in that, in that position. They're not ready. Right. So do you know what this one strength coach said? He's like, we have to treat this like a brain injury. And I was like, yes, that was my face. I'm like, yes. Where have you been hiding? Like this should be on a billboard somewhere because this is a brain injury and this is what we do. Tell me he's an FSM practitioner. Not yet. He will be when you're finished with him. If he starts with that mindset. Absolutely. There is a reason with, with this lady. So anytime an area has been in pain for high health, anytime an area has been in pain for a period of time, and it doesn't take long, the part of the sensory cortex that is devoted to that area gets bigger. So if you look at the homunculus and the sensory and motor cortex, the knee is kind of little, the feet and toes are big, the lips and face are huge, which is why injuries to the face are a big deal. But the knees like kind of little, the elbows little, the fingers are really big. Okay. But you put that knee in pain for, I don't know, I'm, don't know how long that takes, but let's pretend that it's been in pain now for a month and they finally, okay, it's not going to get better by itself. I'm going to go see this lady. And when you treat the knee, as we know from Jay Shaw and from everything else, that little diagram, you have to treat the, from the low back to the knee. I think I took, was that the, I talked about that last week, mm-hmm. low back to the knee but from the neck to the feet to quiet the spinal cord, 40 and 89, so he's quiet the midbrain and the thalamus. But the thalamus is the one that tells the sensory cortex, this knee is a problem. So the first thing you have to do is turn down the sensory cortex, turn down the thalamus. So the two of them will stop talking about how what a big, big problem the knee is. Knee goes back to a normal size. It's a brain injury because your knee hurts. And then you quiet down the nerve and you quiet down the cord and you quiet down all that. And then you increase secretions in the cerebellum, the cord and the nerve to get it moving right. But that isn't the end of the story until you then reintroduce that you dodge the thalamus, you just keep turning, you just be quiet, the knee's fine, just go back to sleep. And then you increase secretions in the sensory cortex and you say sensory cortex, this is the new knee. See, it doesn't hurt. And the sensory cortex says, are you sure? Oh yeah, okay. And it reprograms really quickly, especially if you can get them in your world on the little flexible wall, in my world, get them on a reformer or yeah. One, one of the things that I've been 
playing with and shifting a little bit more is running 40 and 89 before they get off the table. Oh, absolutely. And I used to try to see it more organically without running it, you know, and some people do, they want to just pop off the table and they want to just show you everything, whether or not they're aware that the coordination is there is a whole other can of worms. So some people will be, will verbally tell you, I'm Tara, I don't like your patient with the former. I can't go on that. Okay. That's no problem. I'll say to some patients, let's retest. I don't want to, I don't want to move it right now. Like, okay. You, you can't, you can't pressure somebody to go through an active range of motion, but what we do with dissolving adhesions and it, it, it's not possible. We can't expect their nervous system to get that, that something that has been adhered for so long can soften and be pliable and flexible and smushy within minutes. And, and yeah, so you have to treat the brain. It's like you really have to turn the thalamus down before they get off the table. And 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, I never talked about that. So yesterday I was marveling or day before I was marveling at what it was, how different my practice is when I have two custom cares, three precision cares, and an auto care just in case, but two custom cares and a th three precision cares. And you can set one custom care just around 40 and 89. That's all it's gonna do for 60 minutes and it runs it the whole 60 minutes while you're working on it. So the thalamus has time to get used to it. Right. Because the thalamus runs the show. There's no arguing with the midbrain. There's no arguing with the limbic system. It runs every, every, all the trains go through the limbic system. Right. So you're right. He's right. Yeah. And I just, I just thought that was such a forward thinking, progressive way to talk to athletes without scaring them. Right. But to give them an appreciation for building your strength is all going to come from confidence of movement. And that is Confidence of movement is going to be on my next set of FSM t-shirts because regardless if you're a professional athlete, or like I said, somebody who is learning how to walk again because of, of an injury, it's the belief system that I can do this and do it well. I, I cheat. Are you ready? I don't even tell them. I don't even talk to them about it. They don't need to know. Because I have the ability not. to talk to their midbrain yep. without getting their cortex involved. They don't need to know because they didn't know they were afraid to move it. They didn't know they were afraid to move it. Absolutely. And so you just. You just run it. it. Yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not saying you have to, to get into what you're treating. In fact, I don't think you should. That, that would be almost outside of anybody's scope to say, I'm just going to treat your thalamus right now for inflammation. So if somebody ever said, that's just silly, right? We're trying to coordinate movement. It's just like putting on the custom cares when I prescribe it for patients, I'm not putting depression on there with the word depression. 
I'm giving, I'm, I'll change the word depression to like neurocom or like neuroflex. I make up like, make up different words. You don't want, say, even Brain with depression, right. With certain athletes, um, like concussion is the C word. They don't want to hear that they've had one because they know if they have one more, they're forced into retirement. So change the name on the custom care. The software makes it very easy to do whatever you need to. And I call it concussion in Vegas, let's say, because that's what the practitioners are used to. But when I program it for a patient, I call it brain balance. Right. And yeah. when do we, and then the instructions that go with it are run this anytime you've had a stressful day. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get to a question before we go too far. Alfred, um, Alf a big, long one. Oh. Do you want me to read it or do you want to read it? You go. Hello, Alf. He says, I just started working with a former elite special forces veteran, age 45, 6'2", lean muscular build. He has an L4, grade 2, spondylolisthesis, significant posterior disc bulges, L3, L4, L5, S1, significant, okay. significant end plate disc generation between L2 and 3. Special forces. Yeah. Okay. You know why, Alf? So think about the mechanism. These guys carry uh, 50, 60 pound packs and they run a lot while they're doing it with, um, um, if you've ever put on a bulletproof vest, the darn thing weighs 30 pounds. So they've got a pack on their back, the width a vest. So they're probably carrying close to 80 pounds and I don't, maybe a hundred. I don't care how strong they are. So that's where all that came from. That's the mechanism. Okay. Um, his pain can radiate to the right foot bilateral or bilateral to knees and feet. Yep. Also has pain that's at times near the right, right ASIS. I think it's in the L1 or 2 dermatome. Yep. Hyposthesia left L4 dermatone foot and at the right L5 S1 dermatone on foot as well. Motor deficits, four to five, right vastus lateralis, L3, L4, left peroneus group aversion, L5, S1, posterior tib, L4, L5. Um, Three out of five bilateral toe flexors and extensors, possible association with severe flat foot prior to pain starting. Five out of five bilateral hamstring, gastric, anterior tibialis. He has wires in the chest secondary to open heart valve surgery, partial left knee replacement. Prior to starting with FSM, I had him try McKenzie lumbar flexion and range loading. It reduced um, the peripheralization in his legs to some degree. I started with wraps around the neck and both feet, custom care, lumbar pain protocol, precision care, 40, 89 for 10 minutes, 40 and 10 for 20 and then torn and broken in the annulus for 12 to 15 minutes. Due to his work and distance from me, only be seeing him once per week for a while. Please advise corrections or recommendations. Okay. Do I get to vote? I get to, do I get to vote? I get you to can, vote. and then I will. Okay. Both of us. Um, so I, if you're going to run the lumbar protocol, I go back and abdomen. So it goes through the discs and facets. When you look at, where was it? It was L4, great physical exam, by the way. Um, Motor losses, so lots of neuropathic pain. And that is 
low back to foot. So you have to treat the nerve with 40 and 396 is calm the inflammation down. So when you look at the disc bulges, they make sense just from the compression, but L1 or two, because he has an L2, three disc degeneration. Uh, you have a look at his psoas at some point when you get your hands on him. I go from his low back to his feet and his low back to his abdomen. So that's through machines uh, right there. And then 40 and 10, that might be four machines. So low back, low back to back and front, low back to foot and wrap the kind of wrap the whole leg. So you pick up everything from L2, three, four, five, and S1. Did you see the bottom, the bottom, um, he just writes, uh, yes, you're correct about carrying weight. He was also in a helicopter crash. Oh, there you go. That's, that's what I was looking for. Some sort of compression injury with all those disc bulges. Cause he came out of the, yeah. Hmm. Brain injury. Yep. B-I-V-S-S. Good. Thank you, Jane. Uh, where, where was the helicopter crash? It's the bottom after Jane's comment. Oh, there it is. Yep. And a helicopter crash. Okay. So lots of compression. Yeah. This shouldn't be that hard. The, the surgical pro the problem he's going to have is if what you do doesn't work, they're going to, they're going to want to fuse everything from L1 to S1. And then he's really going to have problems. So this shouldn't be that hard. Um, it's the, um, treat from low back. So from back to front for low back pain or straight up treating for discs while you go from low back to foot with the nerve 40 and eight, 396 and then 81 and 396 after the pain is all gone and you get 81 and 396 will help get the motor back. Quiet down the spinal cord. That's another machine. So we now have one, two, three machines and uh, neck to feet on 40 and 10. Uh, neck to abdomen. I'd start with concussion in Vegas instead of PTSD because concussion in Vegas will take care of 40 and 89. Yep. And you, you can just bump the time from four minutes to 12 minutes. He writes that the crash happened while sitting. He's also run concussion. VA wants to do three fusions. Yeah, that's, I told you. I hate it when I'm right. Yeah. Can, no. I, can I add something to the recipe? Well, yeah. But then the other thing, Alf, the VA is going to want to do three fusions. Um, the other problem you're going to have is it's not just the discs. When you're sitting, when there's that kind of impact, it would cause disc bulges, but find, find out is his pain worse when he bends forward or when he bends back. My money is that a bunch of these pain generators into the, especially the ones down the back of the leg to the knee, it, there's gonna be facets. So unless they're planning on doing a 360 fusion, the disc surgery is not gonna help that much. Go. Yes, to everything that you said, of course. Oh, but, <laughs> please. One of the 
you know, when you, um, when you're working on a concept or you have a question when you're in class and then someone else asks a question, you're like, thank God somebody else said that because that's what I was thinking. So remember when we were working on like expunging the 58s from the muscular, um, part because we didn't think the 58s worked, but they have a place with viscera. When we had Ben Catholion, and I'm not sure if he had a chance to watch that back, I was asking him my, you know, my kind of my common question is like, what are your favorite A channels and what do you love? And sure. he and I have, we're both doing the same thing with 94 and 142. Drama oh. in the fascia and 294 and fascia, fascia is innervated, right? Oh, totally. So I have been running 94 and 294 with the fascia for an extended amount of time. Think like 124 um, type of criteria for 40 minutes on one machine. Uh-huh. And the results will make the hair in your arm stand up. Seriously. I'm serious. So I have a newfound, so like what we do when we're doing like scarring in the cord and scarring in the dura and the cord, that seated kind of flexion movement, I would suggest doing something like that as well. Having that patient sitting in very slowly, what we call stacking exercise, really slow flexion. I would suspect that those vertebral segments are moving in a clunk because these type of patients who are in law enforcement or who are in that sort of field will blow through the stop signs to get to where they need to get to. And so segmentally, you have to be able to not only get the flexibility in there, but the control of the movement so that they can work through the compression, the adhesions. Well, and that means you have to get the multifidi on the rotatories working and they're not going to work until the inflammation and the discs and the facets because they're inhibited for sure. Yeah. And rightfully so those muscles are inhibited. Yes. So exercise is like step two or three in my world until you get the inflammation down and the discs and the facets. For and sure. what you talked about with stacking made me think it's like, hmm, maybe there should be one unit that's running back to foot, <clears throat> back to front. With just 124 and 77 on it. For sure. 100. Or 94 and 77 or 294. Like th this is traumatic stuff that happened to, like you said, I think because if we're looking at the fascia component and the nervous system component, you're absolutely right. The muscles are not going to turn on or let go if they're stabilizing something that is a perceived danger, like spine trauma. Like multiple disc bulges and busted up facades. Right. But uh, where I might disagree is I don't think it's treatment three or four. I would do it at one because as you are taking out scarring and you're making change, I don't see a problem with just doing something very gentle as going as from long as you're activating the micro muscles. Absolutely. Yeah. That's okay. what I mean. Patients like this will blow through the stop signs. So the rotatories, the multifidi, they've checked out the transverse abdominis, not participating. So these patients will come in with those erector spinae group. Longissimus are going to be like rocks because 
the QL is going to be, the psoas is going to be, all those muscles that should be micro-stabilizers are now macro-stabilizers. So my opinion, the sooner you can just start to get motor recruit, it's not even an exercise. It's just, it's a simple stacking. It's just, you know, just reintroducing small movements in a safe environment. Well, and that's why the only piece of real rehab equipment I have in my office is a Pilates reformer. Yeah. Because they lay down, there's, they're not loaded gravity. And when you slide, you're using your legs, but in order to stabilize your core, as you extend, the little muscles go, oh, right. Not so bad. And all actually, all Alf had to say was formal, former special forces elite. So I just. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Enough. <laughs> That's, oh, okay. Then you know. And Al, Alf, Alf, they only think his low back is the problem. Yeah. So the low back is the obvious one. But if you don't need 40 and 10 on him, I'll buy you lunch. Right. <laughs> and the, um, he wrote it. He wrote at the end too. It's worse with extension, of course, because it's the compression, right? So no, again, it's the sets. It's, it's the extension. Yeah. So it's with with police office worse with extension. So they're going to do surgery because of the neuropathic pain. But if you look at where he actually has pain, if they operate on the discs they're going to make it worse because they miss the pain generators and the pain generators are the facets. Yep. If he's in a helicopter crash while he's strapped in the facets, the disc gets compressed because it's of the verticality. But if you look at the mechanics and how they're sitting, they're sitting in extension and the facet joints get smashed. Um, seeing him once a week is fine but alf do you have four machines because i don't know how to do this without four or five on at once it's like how do you get so much done in an hour well you treat everything at one time right somebody had asked something about like you know disc versus facet and it's just it's a super you don't need a fancy test ask the patient just off the bat does it hurt more when you bend down to touch your toes or put on something or when you come up from that bent position to extension and they'll tell you right away it's that well, extension or the, and the other thing is that they'll say i don't know and that's because they avoid the thing that makes them worse totally. so i have them stand up right lean forward oh that makes it better lean back ow okay it's a facet right um, one more thing Alf had written just here. Um, he's trying to avoid surgery. He knows that will worsen other parts of the spine. Um, Alf has two machines, um, but he's going to spend more time with them. Perfect. Two is better than one. So I look at, I look at what I do now. And I was talking to this same patient about what it was like when I had one blue box and then I got two blue boxes and now I've got five machines on one patient every single freaking time. I, and it's not because the machines are cheap. It's because they pay for themselves. And so you, the, our, my partner in the, in the clinic, she was, she's a chiropractor. They're used to getting paid $40 a visit. 
And so she gets really creeped out by having to charge somebody $150 a visit. I said, you've got four machines in there. You're doing four months worth of work in a month. You just save them $20,000 in a bunch of rehab. And you're feeling wiggly about charging them $150 an hour. Get a grip. It's like, and the machines end up paying themselves, paying for themselves, even if you're stuck in an insurance practice. By the way, the people, sorry, the people that feel overwhelmed and that at this point, that should be almost everybody that's listening because of what we've done in the last, it's 55 minutes already? How does, okay, fine. Um, Come to the practicums. The practicum trainings are not just for people who take in the course. Right. You can pay for the practicum training. I don't know what it is for somebody that took the full course a long time ago, but come to the two-day practicum. And all of this is a, the practicums have changed. I don't care when you took the course, the practicums are different than they were even two years ago. So you get refreshed and renewed and the logic of it begins to make more sense. Yes. And then, and then there's mileage. Right. And flexibility of thinking, because as much mileage and you have more mileage than any of us in this, you're never stuck on, this is the only way to do this. I mean, you, you listen to people that said, listen, I did this and this happened. And you're the first one to, to go, Hmm, I wonder why that was. And, you know, we dissect it and we troubleshoot it and we come up with concepts and then it works and it works and it works and it works. And then it doesn't. (laughs) The only difference between me and everybody else that does FSM is I've made more mistakes than anybody you can't possibly make a mistake that I haven't made so that's kind of how we've ended up I'm not trying to sell machines it's because each part of this as we've learned so to to run the frequencies that you need and do it all at one time to cover the physical damage, the neurological system and coordinate that with movement. So before the lady with the Achilles, right? Tendonitis, she had Achilles tendonitis because her femur was internally rotated because she had adhesions between her pectineus and her knee. That had her femur internally rotated. Well, what's that going to do to your Achilles? Right. So easy to get suckered into treating the Achilles without saying, she said, well, I had this hip pain, but it was, and this thigh pain, but it resolved. It's all better now. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't think so. Yeah. So, right. So you feel it and then believe what you feel. And to be able to treat it all at one time. That's the most fun you can have with your clothes on. <laughs> Before we end, I, and I end with a quote and I want to talk about my quote because so I have all these quotes and then I, I have all these themes and like I try to piece them together, but I never matched the quote with the theme, but I did today and it was really strange. 
So my quote today was or is gratitude and attitude are not challenges. They are choices. Oh, ooh, do that again. I just got goosebumps everywhere. Gratitude and attitude are not challenges. They are choices. They are. I, so, I choose to ignore. I choose to ignore the bad stuff. Right. And, you know, with that one person that had written in about, you know, feeling overwhelmed and there's so many things outside. Yeah, okay. This is. Be grateful that you have choices, right? Don't have an attitude about it. Be grateful that you have choices. And then going back to the flexibility, don't get attached to your ideas. Don't, you, you can't have an ego, right? Your hypothesis will be wrong. You will have to be flexible, whether or not you practice with FSM or not. Like you're not going to be right 100% of the time. All patients will not heal in the same time chunks that your textbook said it would. That just doesn't happen in the real world. Healing is not linear. The other, the other thing, speaking of scope of practice, that the section of the core where we talk about the visceral causes of myofascial pain, are you treating the the are you treating the ureter of the kidney no no i'm what are those frequencies for they take away trigger points in the psoas no but what do the frequencies do they take away trigger points in the psoas that's the only thing you can prove the fact that in our world the i'm treating that's the other thing i did this week that was so much fun treating adhesions in the ureter, adhesions in the kidney, and some chiropractor whom I dearly love, one of my favorite people on the planet, was digging into this guy's psoas and his hip muscles. And his hip hurts because his psoas is so tight, it jams the hip into the capsule and wears it out. So It is outside my scope to treat anybody's kidney, kidney fat pad, or ureter. That's not my scope. Are you kidding? Right. Even if you're a massage therapist. Totally. What are you doing? I'm treating trigger points in the psoas. How are you doing that? Well, it's just frequency 13 on A and 60 on B. That seems to be work, working really well to lengthen the psoas, and that makes hip motion better. But then you also have... The, uh, the other thing that releases the quadratus lumborum is 13 on A and 23 on B. What's that for? And the insurance or your scope people ask you, what's that for? Well, it releases the tight tension in the quadratus lumborum. But what's what do those numbers do? They release tightness in the quadratus lumborum. That's all we can say. Right. That's not outside your scope. No, exactly. That's like, trust the force, Luke. <laughs> Fastest hour of the week has oh, concluded. It, it, okay, fine. And I love your quote. It's, it, it is, what people don't understand it is, is that it is a choice. I feel this way. Okay. 
what are you paying attention? Look at the news and look at this. It's like, and I said to somebody this week, I don't look at it. Absolutely, I refuse. I just don't. What what is directly in front of you? So when I was doing Outward Bound the first time, I was 28. And I did the course in Colorado because I am afraid of heights. Like, yes, that afraid of heights. And so I'm rock climbing and you're completely physically safe. You've got a rope, you've got this, you've got that. And I'm halfway up this rock and I'm going, this is not good. I'm freaking out here. And then the voice in my head said, where are your feet? Well, they're on these great big rock hole, footholds. Where are your hands? They're on handholds. And you move one hand and you always have three points of contact. And you've got a rope. Physically, you are completely safe. So you have a choice. Then there was the really scary part. We're walking across a snow face that is 45 degrees this way. And there's six people in front of me and seven people behind me and we're all roped together. We all have ice axes. And I looked out and there was nothing between me and Utah. I'm in Southern Colorado. There is nothing but air between me and Utah. And there's this sphincteric desire to curl up in a ball on the snow and clutch it with my fingers. And I couldn't do that because there's six people and right. So I have to, and then I made the choice to look down at my feet. What's in front of you? Snow. It's flat. There's nothing scary about putting one foot in front of another. And I chose to pay attention to that. And that's, that's how you overcome the really scary stuff. Yeah. Is, say that again, say your quote again. Good one. It is gratitude and attitude are not challenges. They are choices. I, I choose flexibility. Yes. You can. And I am, and I am grateful for that choice. Amen. And <laughs> you can have an ego. You just have to keep it in a box in the closet and, you know, leave it there for certain periods of times. Right. Like when the patient, the impossible patient leaves and you close the door and you turn around and go <laughs> just really quietly as you're changing the table for the next impossible patient to come in. I just did that. I just did that. Yay. And, like, then, and then you look at the patient, the next impossible patient who walks in and you take off your glasses and you look them in the eye and you say, nothing you have scares me. And 
they say, I've never heard a doctor say that. And it's like, nothing you have scares me. And honestly, that ends up being a choice. Yeah. That I am just fine sending them to a doctor that's going to prescribe prison glasses. One patient this week, I sent him to an ENT that I know understands endolymphatic hydrops. It's outside my scope. I can't do what this guy does. He needs drugs. That's okay. But it's just so good. I know we can't. Okay, the hour is up. I have to shut up now. <laughs> yes, you do. And your, your quote is going to be the title of this webinar, right? Did you write it down? Gratitude and attitude are choices. Down, flexibility is the, because she said that that was the, uh, the theme when we started. So <laughs> you, have to be, you have to be flexible with the title, Kevin. There you go. <laughs> if, you, if you send it to me, I'll have my graphics guy turn it into a poster. I love I that. Two posters this week. And I'll, I'll, I forget. Yeah, that I'll tell it to you next week. Okay. Yay. I love it. Thank you. Thanks everybody for coming. We'll see everybody same time, same place next week. Thank you for keeping the train on the tracks. Choo-choo. Bye. See you. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.